1: Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Getting In a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga from College Coach. I hope you're doing as well as possible in this very stressful time for our nation and the world. There's a lot of uncertainty, but we're here to try and answer your questions about college admissions and college success as best as we can in this changing landscape. For our second segment, Alex Gonzalez, College Coach Finance Consultant, will be telling me about finding scholarships based on major For my third segment, I'll be talking with Sarah Calvert-Kubram, college coach expert who came to us a couple years ago from Lewis and Clark College in Portland, Oregon. She'll be sharing her advice on creating a summer schedule for high school seniors. She's very organized, so you'll want to hear her tips on this. But first... I'm really excited to have as my guest, Michael Delman, author, CEO, and founder of Beyond Booksmart, the nation's largest executive function coaching agency. Um, He's here to talk about executive function skills, essential for success in high school and beyond. Welcome, Michael.
2: Thanks, Sally. Glad to be here with you.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for coming. So I'm going to admit to you that I did not know what executive functioning meant Mm -hmm. until I'd say I was probably around 30 or so. So like I'd been in admissions for a while at that point. I think when I heard it too, I thought, well, we're talking about like the skills that a CEO of a fortune 500 company needs, but it's clearly not that. So let's go ahead and start with a definition.
2: Sure. So basic idea, these executive function skills are self-management skills. So these are the skills that reside in the front part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex um, if this is a, your hand as a model, can be made into a model of the brain. If you fold it over, they're the skills right here. This is the prefrontal cortex. This is the amygdala or the fight or flight, you know, an, anxiety kind of reaction, fear reaction. These are the skills right here that allow us to plan things out and to focus and to choose what we're doing so that we make good conscious decisions. So those, mm-hmm. those skills and people need them all the time. They develop until about age twenty-five to twenty-nine. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think I think I was age twenty-nine when they finally matured to a reasonable <laughs> point of view. Other than that, it was fly by the seat of my pants a lot. So, um, so what are I mean? Let's get more into the details then. Like, what are some of the basic skills that students need for success?
2: Well, you know, whether they're finishing up high school or making their way into early years of college, there are five skills I think I would particularly uh, direct everyone to think about. The first is self-regulation and emotional regulation. So managing emotions and behavior so we don't interfere with goals and we're able to achieve our goals. Uh, The second has to do with attention and focus, especially sustained attention over a longer period of time on things that might not be enjoyable or preferred. Uh, The third is time management, which includes time awareness and then how to prioritize and how to plan. And the fourth one is organization, uh, whether it's to do with kind of materials or whether it has to do with organization of ideas. And the fifth one is the ability to self-monitor and to adjust based on the feedback that's coming in. There are plenty of others, working memory and processing speed, yada, yada, yada. But these five are are, are skills that are very much within people's control and the ability to get better at. So uh, we tend to focus on those quite a bit at my company.
1: Mm-hmm. I love what you're saying here, that these are skills that people can control and get better at. Because I think um, when I was growing up, I thought, well, I'm just not that organized. Like, luckily, I'm reasonably smart, so I can kind of just do things at the last minute. But I never thought about it in a concrete way trying to work on these. So hopefully you can kind of go through and talk about how to really acquire those skills and work on sure. them.
2: Yeah. Well, let me maybe take them one at a time. So, um, you know, beginning with the idea of self-regulation and emotional regulation, and it comes back to this model of the brain. So when we get stressed out, we, as a uh, certain neuropsychologists talk about, we flip our lid and there's a disconnect between the prefrontal cortex. It gets hijacked by the the amygdala. So we're not rational. We can't actually plan things out or think rationally. So instead, we're forced to just kind of um, behave in a reactive manner. We don't get done what we want to get done. Obviously, you can imagine a kid sitting down to do their homework in high school or in college, looking at it, freaking out, and then just avoiding it putting aside Mm -hmm. because it's just too stressful or um, maybe another example, you know, a student getting really anxious or frustrated with or angry with a particular teacher uh, and then saying, I'm not going to, I'm not going to work hard for them. They don't like me. I don't like Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. I actually, I had a student one time um, who said, you know, I learned something from this teacher. I I learned at the end of the year, I'm done with her, but I'm never done with the grade that she gave me. And it was such a, a mature realization that she had that mm-hmm. you, you know getting past our emotional reaction to people and realizing no, I it's worth it to me to slow down, <sighs> take mm-hmm. a breath. We call it sometimes five finger breathing if you're breathing in and breathing out as you trace your fingers up and down. And you can do that under your desk during a math exam, and it will help calm you down. So that's kind of a tool to manage this kind of critical first layer skill. Mm -hmm. Um, Does that help a little? Because that that skill really, without self-regulation and emotional regulation, um, we're kind of a victim to our own impulses and our emotions instead of being able to make good choices in our lives. Mm
1: -hmm. I think that's great. It's interesting. I talked to a student once who said, I mean, luckily she liked her math teacher, but she hated math. She was Mm -hmm. one of those students who had convinced herself that she was terrible at math and math hated her. And- Uh You know, and the teacher, I guess, spent a lot of time kind of uh, clearly this was a remarkable teacher and she really worked with her on that emotional side. And so the student said to me, I've realized I need to make friends with math. And if I can make friends with math, then I can just keep working on it until I understand what I need to know. And I was like, that is so
2: wonderful. It's like fun. understand the good parts. I, I, lo- I love the way you said it because so much of um, places where we've made decisions and we don't have a growth mindset and we say, I'm, I'm done. I can't do that. Uh, a lot of that is an emotional resistance. It's not just an intellectual challenge. Mm-hmm. We've added a layer of, I can't, I, you know, I'm stupid, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So um, regulating and being able to manage that is kind of the first, first stage. Really, the second stage has to do with attention and being able to focus, uh, and and with that, we've got the obvious, which is you know uh, you know checking our phones all the time and always being kind of the victims of of whatever distractions mm-hmm. come our way, and and those aren't going to stop. We're living in a world where the distractions are are better than they were when we were younger. They are constant. They are designed to distract us and to. Uh, grab our attention and hold on to it. And then by contrast, the things that we're supposed to do just aren't quite as thrilling and exciting. So being able to manage that is obviously it, it's, it's a bit like building up a muscle. It takes some endurance, takes some practice and some skills. And so I, I would offer a, you know one or two um, solutions here. There's the easy solution, which is uh, get a less comfortable chair. <laughs> and and uh, and don't study by the bird feeder, you know, where we got the, all the, the blue jays and the cardinals flying in and out. And but um, but the harder solution is one about being active while studying, and kind of being more of a detective than say a uh, uh, a factory worker that just takes whatever's in front of you. What happens is we get sleepy, and and, and because we're not active, we're not engaged. Mm-hmm. And just like you and I are like reading each other, and we're paying mm-hmm. attention to each other right now. Um, you know, I, I heard your question, your comment. we're in tune with each other. You can get in tune with your work actually and and actually argue with the text as you're reading something that you're you're supposed to be paying attention to, saying, does that make sense? Do I agree with that? Why am I reading this? What does it mean? Why does it matter? You know, all those kinds of things. Those are active reading strategies that make a big big difference. And same thing for studying, you know, why does it matter? What does it mean? Do I get it? Those kinds of questions that are, um, you know, kind of locked down and, and get the attention moving. Um, shall I go on to time management? Do you want me- yeah.
1: Yeah. Let's go on to time management.
2: Yeah. All right. Well, that's, I love time management. Um, and I'm also practicing time management, being aware of our, our time that we've yeah. got. <laughs> um, so, so time management It's not just that you need to have the right tool for the job. You actually need to put the right amount of effort into the job, depending on how important the job is. And so for students, unfortunately, they've been sometimes bullied into or brainwashed into believing that everything that the teacher says is super important. Or at least the teacher says things like, don't ask if it's on the test. I said it's important. It's actually not unreasonable for a student to think and maybe even to say, Will this be on the test? Mm -hmm. At least to think it or to try to figure that out, because Mm -hmm. ultimately they've got limited time and they're busy people in in, in a lot of ways. And so one exercise um, I I like students to do is called the budget versus the actual. And so it's to make time estimates for what do you think an assignment will take, for example, reading or studying for a test or working on section whatever of a paper, and then to check uh how, a- um, how long it actually took and to compare the two. This is not necessarily um, to become, you know, immediately excellent at guessing right. It's not that it's, it, it's bad if you get it wrong. It's that now you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, that didn't take as much time. And so, you know, we get students who underestimate and they wait and they wait because they they waited too long because they thought it wouldn't take very long. So we say, wait, wait too late. Mm -hmm. That's kind of their motto in life. Like wait, wait too late. And then, then it becomes anxiety now. Mm -hmm. And the others who overestimate and it makes them so anxious to see how long they think it's going to take that they don't even start because they're kind of defeating themselves by their perfectionism before they've even begun.
3: Mm So we
2: want to make sure that students are thinking, how important is this? How long do I think it will take? How long did it actually take?
1: Mm-hmm. And,
2: and those really matter, you know. Those, those three questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you tell me if you want me to. No, pause. no. Like
1: I wanted to follow. I've, I wanted to follow up on that. I feel like you've really touched on something that takes us back to self-regulation, emotional regulation, because you mentioned. I run into so many students, and and I can somewhat relate to this where you're overestimating how much time it's going to take and it just becomes stressful, but yet you're not doing it. And one of the things that, again, like I'm using myself, cause I really, I mean, I had this super organized sister and I was a procrastinator and I, it wasn't like I was having a great time procrastinating. I was stressing out and actively avoiding it, but I wasn't actually enjoying
2: myself, you know? So. Um, awesome. Well put. I had a student one time, uh, Sally, I asked him, you know, so you told me you didn't do the homework over the weekend. Um, okay, so did you think about it over the weekend? He said, Yeah, I said a little. He said, No, lot. I said, How many times, like three or four? He said, About 30. Like it was on my mind pretty mm-hmm. much the whole weekend. And I asked him how long the homework realistically would have taken. He said, Honestly, 30 or 45 minutes, <laughs> but he spent the whole weekend worrying about it. So, mm-hmm. you know, again. Bad time management leads to stress, which leads to avoidance, which leads to, you know, of course, more stress. And it's a vicious cycle. Um, and, and, you know, just the other two I thought I would mention is about mm-hmm. organization, because I know people care a lot about that. How do you create order out of chaos and all the materials and ideas? Um, and I think it's just there's no one system. You can have color coding and you can have different file and filing systems. But the main thing is to try a system that works for you. And I had a student one time who said, I'm not going to use an assignment notebook. I'm tired of my parents pushing me on that. And I said, well, what's your system? He said, well, the teachers post it every day. It's online. I said, OK, so that's that works for you? He said, well, except English. The teacher doesn't post for that. So I said, well, what do you do there? He said. Well, I write it in my assignment notebook then. (laughs) He wasn't opposed to having a system. It just had Mm -hmm. to make sense to him. So we need that. Um, The very last thing I'll just mention is about metacognition, which is kind of the master key. Um, It's the one that gets you into all the others. It's about self-monitoring and self-awareness, knowing what you know and don't know. And for students, whether in high school or college, knowing to go in for office hours, asking yourself, do I know it? Do I not know it? or do I not even know if I know it, you know, mm-hmm. is it a blind, possibly a blind spot, go on in, meet with that teacher, find out if you're on track or off track. And, you know, that allows you to develop systems and to follow through and to become a good self-advocate, because as you learned, you know, in, in some, and you mentioned in some of your comments and we've all learned, it's not about getting everything right, right away. It's about learning over the course of time. And, and, if you have good self awareness, which is such a critical executive function skill, it allows you to develop the other executive function skills. So, having that cognitive flexibility to dive in, dive out, see the big picture of yourself is kind of the master key of it all. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's start.
1: Yeah, no, that was really helpful. And I liked what you said about kind of realizing that maybe you don't know everything and that's okay. And so, then you just go ask for help, you know, but like being able to dive back and look at that when I work with students who I'm a little like concerned about their success in college, one of the things I say to them is, look, plan on going to see plan on going to the writing center, even if you don't think you need it, just go to the writing center, just make sure everything's fine. If you're in a math class and you've, you know, historically struggled with math, or maybe you haven't and it's just college and it's probably going to be harder than what you're used Mm to. That's okay too. just go to the math center. So it's, Mm -hmm. I'm trying to get, I always try and promote those sorts of strategies
2: right so i'm i'm glad you gave me a chance to talk with you today and and i'll just mention it you know i did write a book about this it's called your kid's going to be okay so if people are interested um they could just go on amazon or my company's beyond book smart they can go there and get a get access to a link if they want to learn more specific strategies okay um, but it's been great talking to you thanks yeah so much great
1: talking to you too thank you so much Real pleasure um, All right, great. And so um, now everyone, we're gonna be taking a short break, but when we return, I'll be talking with Alex Gonzalez about merit scholarships based on major. Thanks so much.
0: The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit getintocollege.com to learn more. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voiceamerica. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back, everyone. As I mentioned before our break, we'll now be talking to Alex Gonzalez. Welcome, Alex.
4: Hey, thanks for having me here.
1: Oh, thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, all right, so let's let's start. Like, what's the best place to um, start searching for major-based
4: scholarships? Yeah, when we're thinking about major-based scholarships, um, I like to start with the college themselves. Um, their applications, the admissions department will have their own scholarships, but each department might have scholarships. I can kind of remember back when I was working um, um, in the University of Portland's uh, financial aid office is that we would have scholarships that were housed in the College of Engineering, the College of Business, um, for particular majors in their departments. And so these were extra, whether freshmen could apply or undergraduates could apply each year. In addition, if you guess, if you're thinking about majoring in music um, or kind of talent-based scholarships, they might be housed in those departments as well. Um, funny enough, we didn't have a large enough music bar- department to give scholarships for our everyone who was majoring in music. So a lot of our students were minoring in music and some with, I guess, Hard to find instruments, but we're majoring in ba- and in business or engineering or some other major. Career wise, also got scholarships um, because they held the first chair. So definitely an awesome opportunity is to kind of check those colleges um, um, and their departments to see if there's any additional scholarships or future scholarships um, mm-hmm. uh, to locate.
1: Yeah. I know at, at Whittier College where I worked we had special uh performing arts scholarships as well. I mean there weren't many. It was only one per field, I believe. Maybe it's more now, but um I thought it was so great that we had them. I always kind of feel like you probably need fewer engineering scholarships. Those people are going to do just fine after they graduate, but your performing arts majors might need a little more assistance. So
4: Yeah. Yeah. Or or you have somebody who's like a particular field, you know, everyone wants to be in uh, computer science and there might be donors or past alumni who are thinking about, um, you know, civil engineering or particular fields where they might not be, you know, the most popular at the moment, but, but really looking to kind of recruit folks into that
1: field. Mm-hmm.
4: Absolutely. All right. So where else should students look? Yeah, um, so I so outside of the college, I like to think about it uh, and as a strategy to think and explore locally. So you're the big fish in the small pond. Think about it that way, is that you're competing against a smaller group of students. And so you have more likelihood of receiving those scholarships. So think about um, what is in my neighborhood, what professional associations might be linked towards um, my current major. Um, so think about chamber of commerce, interest groups um, in technology and the environment. It could be that uh, you have a family member that's a member of a union, and that might be create membership. Um, also, um, when I worked on a community scholarship, we had um, a group of um, insurance agents that had a scholarship, and they wanted to kind of highlight and um, Kind of market their field and saying, "Hey, this is a great. This might be an opportunity for you to take advantage of if you're thinking about business." Um, and so, you um, there might be opportunities kind of in in variety of, of fields or departments that might be um, in a particular area that you might not have explored yet
1: hmm I mean, I think the main thing to do is ask the question, right? Yeah. Like, what's the harm in not only asking the question at the school, but also, yeah, looking up neighborhood organizations and seeing if they might have something available, yeah. um, so.
4: Well, and your high school counselor, I remember in my high school counselor days is that we had a lo- a big, long list of, of scholarships that um, that our community Um, members and areas that our students could apply for and Mm -hmm. so do know that you don't have to stay within your community as well to apply for those scholarships or your state is that those scholarships could potentially travel Mm -hmm. Um, and we always encouraged our students to think about applying each year as well Um, so if they were off at their college that the next year if they didn't receive that scholarship if they had the opportunity to apply as an undergrad continue to do that. You're getting closer to the finish line. And, um, and, and so there might be opportunity to expand those, those scholarship opportunities.
1: Mm -hmm. All right. And so what, um, what about websites? I mean, I usually recommend students to scholarship.com or I know big future has a scholarship search. Um, You know, what are some suggestions that you might make?
4: Yeah. Yeah. So, that is, they're out there. They're great services. Um, they vet scholarships. Um, you get a big, long list. Oftentimes on on phone calls, I get families going, well, I filled out this student profile, and it lists all my interests, my demographic information. Um, it's a great resource because it gets to pile a, a laundry list of, of of scholarships. However, it can be overwhelming. That's the biggest what like um, concern that families and students are. I'm inundated by scholarships. I don't know where to start. Um, Kind of a pro tip in that is to kind of keyword search. So you've done all that great work of different and inventorying what you might be eligible for with that student profile. But now it's kind of, can we be targeted in thinking about maybe uh, Where am I in my community? Am I in the Bay Area? Am I in the greater New York area? Um, Am I in a rural community, an urban community? Um, Do I have a particular major? So what what are those fields or interests? Um, It might be based on a career as well. Don't think that it has to be based on your major or if you're undecided with what major you're going to be, but you have an idea of the career field. That might be a place where... Um, you, you start keyword searching some of those search engines like fastwebscholarships.com. Uh, the big, big Future on through College Board has a great resource as well. Um, but targeting those and doing the work before you search can really help identify. Mm-hmm. And setting reasonable goals. So um, oftentimes you kind of read those books that say apply for everything or the easy answer, from a high school counselor might be, apply, to apply as, as many as you possibly can. But we know that you're taking uh, AP classes, you're applying to, you know, multiple colleges, uh, you have other things that are in your life. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, it's it's hard to convince really anyone to say, oh, apply to 13, 20 scholarships um, and, and get that no. But if you target and say, okay, I'm going to have a goal of three to five outside scholarships, outside of my college's scholarships, outside of the, app, uh, the scholarships that are tied to the application, then now you have a reasonable goal. And as you know, essays are important. Those extra pieces um, to that application are really going to help you shine because you spent more time
1: mm-hmm.
4: and you've answered those questions.
1: hmm I always like to, when I was working with students too, I'd always emphasize, look for the the scholarships from the local associations. Like typically that is where you have your best chance of getting one. You know, I had a student who applied for Coca-Cola. I had multiple students apply for Coca-Cola and only one of them even made it to the interview. Now that was impressive that she made it to the interview. That was Amazing, but I can't tell you about all the amazing students who applied and got nowhere Whereas like that little scholarship to like the Lions Club or the local like, you know union for whatever it might be Like I actually saw students, you know get Maybe it was five hundred dollars Maybe it was a thousand over four years that adds up that that makes a difference
4: Yeah, and and also you live in that community these folks want to give you money they want you to be successful they're invested and so they're going to invest in you um, it reminds me of a story of, of so i had one student that i was helping um, and he applied to a small scholarship like you're talking about small scholarship chamber of commerce of the portland metro area um, it i want to say it was 500 it was enough for books But what he got out of it was connections. So he Mm -hmm. went to the award dinner and he sat next to somebody who owned a hardware store. Mm -hmm. And guess what his summer job was? As He worked for that hardware store. And, Mm -hmm. you know, on a weekend a day and they were flexible because, I mean, here was this donor and Mm -hmm. and he received that scholarship and an active member of the community and he really made it work. Mm -hmm. So.
1: Yeah. And I imagine some mentoring might've gone along with that too. Oh yeah. So he got a job and then he also had a mentor as long as he might be interested in business and it didn't have to be at a hardware store. That's the other thing (laughs) that I always like to emphasize. So yeah. um, Yeah. All right. Any other, any other sorts of ideas or anything?
4: Well, Again, reiterating that, you know, starting small and then moving your way up um, to those national scholarships, um, those can have those big money tickets, is that you're kind of seeing those $10,000 for a STEM scholarship. Um, They are worth it. Um, However, you want to make sure that we're creating a priority and making sure that it's manageable um, in terms of your goals as a student. If you are if you're applying to a multiple different schools, if you're applying to d- different programs is that those national scholarships are great um, opportunities, but you want to be realistic in the sense that um, you're could be leaving some money on the table if you don't explore those. Local mm-hmm.
1: Oh, and actually before I let you go, I did think of one more thing. I mean, I don't think students always realize that, you know, you don't have to major in business to go into business. So there's an argument that maybe if you're a classics major or, a biology major, and you know you don't want to go into those fields and teach, you might still be able to get a business scholarship, right? I mean, you kind of mentioned something like that. If it's not tied to a major, as you said, maybe it's tied to a particular profession.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Think about it in a broad sense. What are your goals? What are those fields, you know, in the classics? Uh, there might, you know, they If there's an organization that supports the classics, they need an accountant. They need, um, you know, a financial advisor and they might need IT. So there's a lot of different things that you can bring to the table um, that might surround some of your your interests and your goals as well.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Great. Thank you so much, Alex. Yeah. Thank you. Have a great Mm -hmm. one. You too. All right. We're going to take a short break, but when we get back, we'll be talking to Sarah Calvert-Kubram about organizing your senior with a summer schedule.
0: The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now back to the show
1: welcome back everyone hi sarah how you doing today hi
3: sally it's good to see your face i'm doing fine
1: (laughs) nice to see you too yeah just so everybody knows we work together but we work across the country from each other i'm in connecticut sarah is in portland oregon so um All right, Sarah, so let's get started on what kind of a summer schedule you are creating for your seniors. And I'm very eager to hear this because as we talked about in the first segment, I'm not actually the most organized person. It's a (laughs) skill that I had to really like Mm -hmm. learn. And I think of you as being quite naturally organized. So very interested in hearing what you've come up with uh, to help your students.
3: Yeah. So first, yes, I do think I'm a pretty organized person. But first, we have to get the student on board as to why organization matters. Um, Mm -hmm. I spend a lot of time working with my students about the fact that if they are ahead of the game, if they finish most of their college application work in the summer, they're going to have a much more enjoyable and less stressful Mm -hmm. senior year. So framing is important of first helping the student realize that, hey, if I work a lot this summer, then I can handle my intense classes in the fall. I can try to have some fun in the fall. Um, It's really about preventing stress in the fall of senior year, feeling in control of the the situation. And I think that that is an empowerment model that makes then my uptight organizational (laughs) (laughs) approach. feel like a welcome gift for most students versus, uh, oh, whoa, she's making me do a lot this summer. Mm -hmm. Um, I think organization is also a stress reduction empowerment tool. Mm -hmm. So we can talk about that in a second. But the first part I think is discussing Goals and mindset. I challenge all students that I work with to be done with all of their application essays before senior year starts. And Mm -hmm. I say, okay, the goal is that in the fall, we're just doing finishing touches, final tweaks and adjustments. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe still writing some of the little supplemental essays like why this college, those types of things, but that the main essays and work is done so that they feel on top of things and maybe even ahead of some of their friends, but in a really delightful way. before mm-hmm. senior year starts mm-hmm.
1: yeah I actually um managed to get my seniors there and I've noticed that that they're all like well I told my friends I've already got my essay done in the common application filled out and they were so surprised you know and they're <laughs> they're so pleased to be yeah. able to say that
3: yeah so, definitely.
1: yeah I've actually gotten really good buy-in this year too because I say well think about it Right now, I mean, things are loosening up definitely at this point and might be completely open by the time this airs, but I was getting a lot of students started early because I thought, well, imagine if you have free time when things are open and you're actually allowed to leave your house.
3: Yep. Oh, and people are going to be ready to leave when they're able to, for the most part. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, For the most part. So do everything you can now when you're not really allowed to go out,
3: when gatherings Mm -hmm. are limited, get this out of the way. Definitely, I work with a student who's a swimmer, and they're hoping that the swim the pool is going to open back up for a lot of extensive um, training in July because they're so behind on their conditioning. So I told her, I said, "Okay, well, we need to buckle up and do a lot this June." Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just for yeah. that reason. So yep. mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: absolutely. And people might not realize, but the common application essay, the topics have been available for months now. So yeah. absolutely, no reason not to. Uh to start. But anyway, okay, so what are some of the concrete things you're thinking about? I just mentioned mm-hmm. essays, but there's there's more yeah. than that for sure.
3: Definitely. So I overwhelmingly start with my students on essays, as you mentioned. For most students, the very first is the common application essay because if you look up those prompts online, they're open-ended, they're reflective, there are content in those that you can utilize in other applications. So let's say you're then going to also work on the University of California application or the coalition application. Quite often, if you start with a common application, you can use some of that content. So mm-hmm. that's a good starting point. Um, and that's one of those core things that I say must be started and then definitely done before senior year. The second benchmark that I find to be really helpful is giving yourself a deadline to have a more or less finalized list of the colleges a student plans and applying to by the end of June. And there's mm-hmm. a reason I say this. Um, First of all, yes, you can change it. You can add schools, remove schools later. But the reason I say the end of June is that the vast majority of colleges use May and June every year to make adjustments to their application requirements, processes, deadlines, et cetera, for the coming year. Um, And then usually by early July, they've started to update their website of any changes to their deadlines and requirements. And so I find that using June in addition to essays to also do research, narrow your list, get it down to that manageable list of let's say 10 schools that you're going to apply to um, and feel pretty good about it. Right now, colleges in response to COVID have amazing resources of virtual campus tours. You can do Zoom information sessions with with uh, admissions officers at many campuses. So use June to, to research right now to really try to explore. And I know when this airs, it'll be almost the end of June, but still not quite there. Um, so then it, let's say come early-ish to mid-July, mm-hmm. your list is feeling pretty good. You're then ready for the next step, which is creating a really detailed spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. Now, spreadsheets might not be everyone's favorite, but I <laughs> see them as an empowering organizational tool. <laughs> um, but what I do is I put the colleges down the left-hand side. And then across the top, everything you have to research for every single school. And usually by early to mid-July, colleges have published what those requirements are going to be for that year. So that's things like the deadline, the type of application, like are they on the common application or not? Do they have additional essays? Are you going to apply early or regular? Do they have financial aid application requirements? All of the little pieces in one spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you could agree, Sally, that every college is very similar in a lot of their requirements, mm-hmm. but also just different enough to make a student completely miss something or to get confused. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and without
1: think- a doubt. Listen, yeah. when I started in college counseling, I didn't realize that UNC Chapel Hill was October 15th mm-hmm. so I'm t- for their early action deadline. So I'm telling students it's November 1, and then I suddenly yep. have this panic attack and Mm -hmm. they've got to move everything up by two weeks i mean i'd never heard of a school so many schools are november one and then there's like just Mm -hmm. a couple schools or a few schools that are october 15th so you have to check you have to check yeah
3: and you have to really be careful that what you're reading on their website says for this year that it's for applicants to fall of Mm -hmm. 2021 Mm -hmm. not 2020 to make sure that it's updated yes Um, And my gut is telling me, my educated guess, that a lot of colleges are going to make some pretty beefy changes this year to their application requirements, not totally overhauling the system, but they may have some different essay requirements because of their changes in reality of COVID. a lot of schools are now being test optional because of Mm -hmm. COVID testing cancellations. So students are going to need to really closely read what all of the requirements are. And if you document them in one spreadsheet and then have that available for your whole family and support systems to see, then you all have all the information in one place, which I think is really helpful.
1: Yeah. And even me who used to see spreadsheets as something that Was a punishment. (laughs) I've since then realized how useful they are. Like you said, all that information is in one spot. You know, the deadline is right there. If you want to glance and, and uh, one of the things that I tell students to do is print it out and pin it somewhere. Or if you do everything on your computer, just open it up and have it open when you're working.
3: Yep. And if you use a version of a spreadsheet that can be shareable with other people, I love, and I've not just done this with my clients, but also family members, relatives, nieces, et cetera, that I've supported, that I can have eyes on that too. So students mm-hmm. can have some accountability with a parent, whoever is working with them to support them. I think it's really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, one little detail I forgot to mention. Is I find it really helpful to have one deadline for the college's deadline, one column, I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. for. College's deadline, and then another column that I name. Let's say you're the student Sally. I'd say Sally's deadline, mm-hmm. and then make a schedule by which point you will submit the application, and kind of think backwards of you know what your life looks like, big events, etc. Um, I lovingly but firmly nudge most of my students to try to submit applications ideally two weeks before the deadline, but at least a week before, and have a schedule that is their schedule. Um, Um, And oftentimes it's a rolling schedule where where each weekend they're pushing submit on a school or things like that to really feel like they're on top of it as well. Mm
1: -hmm. See, I knew I was going to learn some, even though I've been doing this forever, I knew I was going to learn something from you because I've, I always tell them at least two weeks ahead of time, but I've never thought of saying specifically, let's address your schedule and Mm -hmm. figure it out. And that's the way to get really strong buy-in from them. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise some students are like, why? Am I pushing to get this done when I have more time?
3: Right. And let's say, let's assume, for instance, that schools are in person in this this fall. Who knows? A lot Mm -hmm. of students really want to have fun on homecoming weekend, for example. Mm -hmm. So I'll say, hey, do you have any big weekends this fall? And let's block those out. Let's say no. No college work will be done then. And let's put realistic submission deadlines for Sally's deadlines (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, around weekends that actually feel attainable for you.
1: Mhm mhm. Yeah and then there's holidays Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah. I mean a lot mm-hmm. of really important holidays come up around then too. So
3: Yeah, definitely. That is
1: very good. Yeah.
3: Um anything else? You know, those are the really really big ones. Um, I'd also say that if you haven't already, it doesn't hurt to email teachers. Um, They might see it if their school year is done and make sure you have a plan or you've thought about who will write the letters of recommendation um, for colleges that accept them. Also spending some time on the activities and honors section of the applications. Um, Each application platform is a little bit different. So once you can get in there and see that, that can be helpful. But those are really the main things for the summer. And then you can really confidently put the finishing polishes and touches in the fall. Mm -hmm.
1: So I do want to say, I think you're right that there's going to be a lot of changes this year, but Mm -hmm. I've actually because I had some students finish really early because they couldn't do their extracurricular activities. So they're Mm -hmm. done with their um, common application essay. I've actually had a few just, I told them, look, this is a risk, but it's unlikely the University of Wisconsin is gonna change their essay topic. I mean, they might, right? Like you have to be ready, they might, but there are schools where it's basically been the same. Right. As long as I've been doing this. Every year I have students apply to University of Wisconsin. It always seems to be basically the same essay topic. Mm-hmm. So it just, so in that case, sometimes I'm like, maybe just try it out. Like, you know, yeah. don't get mad at me, though. I'm warning you that it might change, but I do think yeah. it's going to be worth your time. And so kind of wondering if you're thinking about doing that or if you're going to give your students a break.
3: You know, I, I agree with you that that's probably not a bad risk to take, but um, I tend to work with a lot of students in California who are at least filling out the University of California mm-hmm. system application and the common application. So I have so much that they can start with with the four UC essays and the main common application essay that I just start with that. Mm-hmm. And then I roll into the supplements later anyway. So I think it's just a matter of if a student's just applying to common application schools, go for it. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. if they have that time and bandwidth. So I think it matters what their list looks like. But I think you're right. I don't think that the essays are going to be the part that change much. I think that we could see changes um, in some deadlines. We could see definitely changes around testing preferences and policies, but probably not the essays. And it's probably not a bad risk to take.
1: Right. And even if there is a change, it might be like a small tweak where they can probably use most Mm -hmm. of it. So,
3: yeah. One other thing I'll just throw out there is, um, you know, this Sally, but the common application has added a new additional question about COVID to the Mm -hmm. application. Um, And I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are, Sally, but for the most part, Most students probably aren't going to put a whole lot there, but it's something worth thinking about. I think that there are students whose lives have been substantially impacted by COVID Mm -hmm. and it's helpful to give colleges some understanding. Maybe their parents is a single parent. And so they've been having to manage a lot of the household. Maybe their, their parents are nurse at the front lines and that's been emotional. Maybe there's something really substantial that mm-hmm. needs to be shared to provide context. Um, yeah. if not, it's okay to leave it blank as well. Do you have any other thoughts of thinking about that one this summer?
1: Yeah. I mean, something that came up recently was, um, I've talked to a family where, you know, both parents work and the younger son was home. Mm -hmm. And so the older son actually ended up taking on a lot of responsibility for his 12-year-old brother's kind of sort of homeschooling, Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. know, so suddenly like this was this major kind of responsibility. And I said, definitely write about that. That is something Mm -hmm. that colleges really do care about.
3: Yes. And COVID or not, colleges do care about young people having to rise to the occasion of big family duties. And that's a perfect example. So I think all families can be thinking about, huh, how, how has COVID changed our life? And do we need to say anything there? Mm hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So you can add that to your to do list. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. And so as reg- regular listeners know, um, sometimes we like to do a school spotlight. And in the past, it's just kind of been me and they the other hosts kind of reading through um, like a brief explanation. But I thought we've got some extra time today. And I think it would be really fun. Like I want to hear from somebody about the school that they went to or that they love for whatever reason that might be. Now. I thought you'd be the perfect person, as a Lew- having come from Lewis and Clark, to talk about Lewis and Clark. So mm-hmm. can you tell us a little bit about it? Like, just start out with the basics, and then we'll go from there.
3: Yeah. Um, so Lewis and Clark College is a small liberal arts college, about 2,000 undergraduate students in Portland Oregon and it's kind of up on a hill right on the edge of the city in the suburbs. so you're in Portland but it's surrounded by a big park it feels like a really what you would imagine residential beautiful college campus um, it's definitely your home away from home um, they require the first two years of students to live on campus but they provide or guarantee housing for all four years mm-hmm. and the majority of students do live on campus because they have apartments it's residential um, they have students from most of the 50 states and over 80 countries. So it's geographically bringing students from all over and they work a lot to make it feel like your home for sure. Mm -hmm.
1: All right. So I've actually been to Lewis and Clark. I mean, you know, it's our arrival. I went to Reed College and I'll just say (laughs) that I thought Lewis and Clark was an extremely beautiful campus as well. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of really cool things about it. So we just have like three minutes left, Mm -hmm. but you know, tell me some of the things that really stand out to you about Lewis and Clark. Like, I remember their study abroad program was one thing that was remarkable, just really, really good.
3: Yeah, and I'll overtly state my bias here. I met my husband at Lewis and Clark as an undergrad, so I did attend there. We're a Lewis and Clark family, and I later, years later, went back and worked in admissions there for five years. Um, I definitely would say that the international emphasis, not just study abroad, is a big part of Lewis and Clark's identity. Um, Over two-thirds of the students study abroad, and that includes athletes, pre-med students, science students, demographics that often don't have the flexibility to study abroad. They also have some grants that allow it for students of um, low-income backgrounds who usually have to work during the semester to have a grant for their spending money while they are abroad. They really try to make it accessible. Um, So studying abroad is a big part of their community, but also students coming to Lewis and Clark from abroad. So a lot of diplomat families, international aid families, and also citizens of other countries, see Lewis and Clark as a place to go to. So there is a wealth of international perspectives infused in the community. Um, a lot of international traditions as well. International fair every year, etc. cetera. Um, there are also a lot of themed residence halls, and one of them is an internationally themed residence <laughs> hall. So you can choose to engage in that. Um, multilingual um, students are definitely celebrated for language skills, etc. cetera. Okay. All
1: right. Great. Well, unfortunately I have to cut it off there cause uh, um, we've run out of time, but thank you so much, Sarah. That was great. Yeah. Have a good day. You too. All right. And thank you to all my guests today. Um, get ready for our show on July 9th when host Ian Fisher, will be talking with one of our college coach admission experts about her college story. So you got a little taste of it from Sarah, but this is going to be a full segment. So it'll be great. Um, And if you want to know more about how to handle the admission process in the time of COVID-19, please know that we're talking about it a lot. We've had a lot of segments about it. And you can go to our blog page at blog.getintocollege.com. There you'll be able to search excuse me, to search for particular blogs and also um, the getting in show summaries there so that you know which show is going to target the topic that you want. Um, The full archive is available to you. And last, don't forget, we're here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. So check us out.